so glad you're here. I'm excited for us to continue to look at this this whole series called A Way Out. And this we're doing something we haven't done before, and that is to take really a whole year through a book called Exodus and look at that and really understand it. We'll be looking at coming in around February, we'll be really talking about rethinking this whole idea. What does it mean to think again as we go through that part of the series? So let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We ask that you would um, allow for our hearts to be able to hear your word in fresh and new ways. Speak to to me and speak to each and every person here in, in a way that would bring encouragement, would, would bring an understanding of how much you love each one of us, and also challenge us, God, where we need to be challenged, where we need to understand um, what it means to serve a holy and good and righteous God. So God, we thank you, and we pray these things, inviting your spirit to come now, we pray in Christ's name, amen. This summer, as I was reading through Exodus 5, and I was reading through this entire book and this series and I was preparing my heart to better understand what I thought maybe the Spirit of God was saying through some of these chapters, I realized that this message, this chapter we're going to look at today, was kind of like a modern, um, kind of a modern day business negotiations gone wrong. So I, I want you if, you, if you have a Bible with you, um, I'm going to take a moment and kind of paraphrase what I see as Exodus 5, and if you want to, you can... Um, at some point, read this on your own. Um, but it's really the first, uh, what I would call, conversation mediation between Moses, who is the lead negotiator for Hebrew Bricklayers Union, presenting demands to Pharaoh, the CEO of Egyptian International Industries. And, and really, if you look at it that way, uh, some things come to light that you may not think about if you didn't put it in that context. And so here's my fair paraphrase. It goes something like this. God calls to Moses. This is a little bit of history. He says, hey, Mo, because they were on real good terms. Um, <clears throat> I have a project I'd like for you to undertake back in Egypt. I'd like for you to negotiate a deal on behalf of the, the, the Hebrew workforce in that country under that industry. And now you need to remember, going back, that Moses got out of the negotiation business some 40 years prior to that due to a really poor mediation where people got killed. He almost himself nearly got killed. And so he's been on the lam for 40 years. And so God comes to him and he explains the call and what he's supposed to do and, and the whole kind of gives him a bit of the negotiation process that he wanted him to lead to. And so Moses does what God tells him to do. He does exactly what he asks him to do. And so Moses, he goes back and, and he meets with the Hebrew people, discuss the possibility of this three-day vacation festival worship time for God, and they're kind of excited about it. In fact, the leaders and the people all join together. They're on board. They think this is a great idea. They're excited about Moses going to do this. In chapter 4, verse 31, it actually states, they believed. They were all in. And so after this first success, as he was following the plan of God with, you know, was maybe wondering whether the Hebrew people would even get behind him, he's now a bit emboldened, so he decides he's going to go ahead and do it, just as he said, and he's going to negotiate with Pharaoh. Now, you have to understand that Pharaoh, was a C, as a CEO, was a little bit proud, 
had a bit of an ego. Actually liked to have his way since he was a kid. And um, as, as, you, as you understand who Pharaoh is, he goes by the title um, and has, that has actually connotations, when you think of the title Pharaoh that we know in history, of being a god. And, and, and he actually wanted everybody in Egypt to call him perfect God. That, that's a recorded thing. And so, you know, Moses is pretty much up against a, a, a pretty important person who employs everybody in Egypt and the surrounding areas. And so Moses comes before Pharaoh representing um, a growing yet underrepresented and oppressed workforce in Egypt. The Hebrew workers are literally treated like slaves. And the particular subsidiary that they were employed by was a division, possibly Pyramid Enterprises. Not, not really sure. Some archaeological data goes back and forth on that. But Moses approaches Pharaoh and he asks for this three days off so that the, the workforce, his people, could go to the desert and take a festival, which did happen from time to time in, in, in Egyptian economy. Workforces would ask for a religious festival. And, and Moses says, it's a religious thing. And I'm actually under orders from the Lord God. Pharaoh rubs his scrub. He was really in. Um, Really, he says. Who is this Lord God and why in the netherworld should I obey him? And Moses responds, he's our, he's our God. He's the God of the Hebrews. You could say he's the Lord, the creator of everything. The owner of all, you know, the one who is, his name actually means I am. And he met with us and told us that we need this three-day journey into the desert. And, and he told us it's an order. It's not a suggestion. And if we didn't do it, we'd pay for it. In fact, he talked about the possibility of curses and, and plagues and, and even death. So we call not doing it um, punishment for disobedience. And so we don't have a choice, but we thought we'd ask your permission. Well, the boss of Egypt, and I tell you, I also like to be called king. He's thinking, at best, Mo, this, this Moses guy is trying to get them a three-day vacation. And at worst, this Moses character is thinking of a kind of walk-off strike. But not just a walk-off from their job, but possibly a walk-off all the way out of Egypt and away for good. And so Pharaoh... His anger grows, contemplating the ridiculousness of this proposal. He says, what are you thinking? Moses, who do you think you are? You want to take these people from their work, and we've got this massive building project underway, an impressive pyramid that will generate incredible tourism for centuries to come. We're already behind schedule and way over budget. You've got to be crazy. Get out of my sight and get back to work now. And as Moses is leaving, Pharaoh just adds, you must be loony, you old man. You have to remember, he's 80 years of age. That very same day that Moses visited him, Pharaoh gave orders to his executives to give these instructions to the Hebrew foreman. 
keep the quota, but quit providing and paying for hay and straw for the bricks. These Hebrews can pick up the material and the labor costs. Get this project back on schedule and get it back on budget. The Egyptian executives give the order to the Hebrew foreman. They pass it on to their people and eventually they're not able to keep up even with the quota that they had before. And so the Hebrew foremen are pinched into the middle and they make a decision. We will go ourselves to Pharaoh and they meet with Pharaoh and they say, sir, we apologize. Let's keep the original contract. Let's go back to the way it was. We can't believe how terrible the negotiations went. In fact, as we're leaving, the next stop we are going to is we're going and we are going to fire Holy Moses consulting team. (laughs) Pharaoh's still ticked. He's unsatisfied. He goes, you lazy bunch of no-goods. Get back to work. Negotiations are over forever. Before men leave... They go to Moses and Aaron, and they say, you're fired. I hope you never get work again. You have royally screwed up our situation. It was bad. Now it is worse than ever. They leave, and Moses goes to God on his knees. What are you doing? I was happy in the desert. At least things were dead calm. Why did you bring this trouble on me and my family? These people don't deserve this. What's the reason for sending me? I took your approach and it failed miserably. And I might add, it's left everyone in a more miserable condition. And then God said, this is great news. And Moses is going, what? Now I've got them, all of them. I've got you and Aaron, the people, Pharaoh and Egypt, right where I want them. Now I will show all of you my supernatural negotiating skills. Quote, this is from the manuscript. Because of my mighty hand, he, this is Pharaoh, will let them go. And then he adds, because of my mighty hand, he, yes, Pharaoh, will actually drive them out of the country. So incredible are my negotiation skills. In short, what happens is Pharaoh will break the the contract, says God. My people will begin their own startup, and it will rival Pharaoh's Egyptian international industries. He thinks his kingdom is really great. My kingdom will be universal in dimensions, and might I add, it will be eternal, and I know just the place where to build. That's kind of a paraphrase, and I kind of wrote that up, sent it at that time in the summer to a few people who I knew um, who were some NBA students from a couple of the top schools of Kellogg and, and um, Stanford and some others. And, and I asked them, what are your thoughts if I was to present it this way? And they had some very interesting thoughts. They said, a typical business school negotiation class would start by having you figure out your BATNA, your Best alternative to negotiated agreement. Because this helps you to find your walkaway point. And next you figure out what you think your opponent's BATNA, best alternative to negotiated agreement, is. Their walkaway point. And at that point, you would look for a win-win space in between. 
Well, obviously, this grad from a business school says, in this situation, Pharaoh believes his batna is to punish the Hebrews. And given Moses and the Hebrews' reaction, they think their batna is to take the punishment. They see themselves as powerless. And when I read that, I thought to myself, most abusers seek to create the belief of powerlessness in those who are abused or mistreated. To a child, they say, don't tell anyone or I'll kill your family. Resist my advances and you won't get promoted. Some governments will say, speak up for your rights and you'll go to a work camp. Another friend confirmed in their note, another MBA grad, he said back to me, the first rule of negotiation is to be able to walk away or have a best alternate. In business, that means the Israelites could have gone to a competitor or would go on strike, but the Israelites don't seem to have an alternative in a slave environment. And to that end, what Pharaoh did is pretty gutsy. Something a boss would only do if he felt supremely confident that the workers were desperate and not strong enough to leave, go on strike, etc. In the story of Exodus, God obviously changes the power dynamic this person writes. God, with his super negotiating power, changes the batna for both parties. And let me just share with you, with God on your side, I don't know what circumstance you're in. I don't know what circumstance you may be praying for someone else. But you need to recognize, if God is a real God, and this God exists, his power is available, your batna's changed, no matter what you might think from a human perspective. Okay? So what do we learn from all this? You're kind of going, well, that's nice. Let me share with you some lessons on what I call negotiations gone bad. Okay? And, and what I want you to remember through all this is this, that when God calls you to do something, when God calls you to step up on behalf of someone for someone else's sake, God wants you to keep your eyes on his promise and his word and his faithfulness and his power and his greatness because God comes behind those who take the next step, whatever that next step is, to work through them. And I say that because as we go into next week's, we'll see a little bit more about who this God is. And he even makes this claim to Moses, like, don't forget this, Moses. You need to live in this reality. So the first thing I want to share with you, lesson number one, is when you stand up on God's behalf for others, those misusing power will seek to get you to sit down. Okay, That's a pretty standard approach. It's the approach you see right here in Scripture. They will seek to cause division. They will seek to get your eyes internal and off mission. They will seek to do what they can do to break away people from their lead negotiators, from their leaders even in a sense, so that they will be unable to do what's in their heart to do, what God is calling them to do. And you see that right from the beginning. Pharaoh's no fool. He knew negotiation would break down if he could bring some kind of internal fighting among the Hebrew slaves. In his mind, they had no power, and he was going to make sure they knew they had no power. So he creates disunity, disharmony, gets their eyes off their mission, and onto themselves, and he breaks the strike, so to speak. We see it happen all the time, right? You can see it happen, let's say, nurses can't agree on a contract internally. Or you can't get enough workers to walk out with you. Or you're in a situation where you destroy this union's approach to the people they're coming against and standing up against because what happens is that union, the boss, gets you to distrust the lead negotiator and things are at a standstill. 
gets you to sit down. That's what they want you to do. Take your seat. One MBA grad wrote this. He said, Pharaoh made the perfect move if he was trying to put a wedge between Moses and the workers, asking them to do the same with less and with no. Um, give on his part is a type of madman escalation that just serves to prevent any discussion or wiggle room. Again, you'd only do this if you were high, if you were rightly or wrongly supremely confident that you had the upper hand and the other party didn't know or have an alternate option and couldn't, in a sense, mess with you by strike or whatever else they might seek to do. So the Israelite foreman, as you think about it, they take their eyes off God, and, and, and the plan then is to get their eyes on themselves. And so the first thing you see is he kind of begins to wedge this. He does a really smart thing. He says the executives to go to the foreman. The foremen are the ones who are supposed to instill this plan. They instill this plan, and as they begin to do it, it creates tension between the foreman and them. And eventually, you have disharmony, and you have people who are at war with each other, and they're not able to do what they had set out to do. Drive a wedge between you and between others, and Satan wins all the time. He knows how to take our eyes off herself, put our eyes on the problem, cause us to think that others around us are the problem, cause division, create disharmony. And how many times has this happened in churches? How many times has he caused churches to find themselves off mission because they're, they're arguing about whether you should dance or not dance? They're arguing about whether you should play hymns or you should play choruses. They're arguing about whether it should be infant baptism or adult baptism. Whether you should meet at 9 or 10 or whatever. We have 310 different denominations What if they chose to unite? What if they got their eye on the prize which said, hey, we're here to invest the power God has given us to those who are powerless, those who are without God, those who need God, those who are lost, those who need to know that they are not alone. Divide and conquer has been a strategy all the way back from Adam and Eve. A house divided against itself will not what? Stand. And the question is, how will you respond when something like that happens to you? Because that kind of stuff is going to happen all the time. There's no way, if you want to say Satan or anyone who misuses power, wants you to keep standing. They want you to sit down. So what does it look like when you feel um, division and disharmony? Here's one thing that's really interesting here is, is what I think is really um, an interesting thing that happens in this whole occasion is he gets the Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh gets the foreman and the, and the workers kind of at odds with each other. And then what happens eventually is he gets the foreman at odds with who? The lead negotiator, Moses. And so when you look at it, at a certain point, it, it comes and he says that Moses, they come up to Moses and they actually say, to Moses. Moses. May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in, his, in their hand to kill us. 
total breakdown of trust. And I was thinking about this. What do you do also when, when you stand up on behalf of, of God for others and they turn around and then they seek to hurt you? Ever had that kind of thing happen in your own life? Not only do they create division and disharmony and get your eye off the mission, but now they try and get you to hurt one another. In fact, you may have been in a situation as a leader where you have experienced the pain of other people and you're going, I, I was just doing what God told me to do. I was just trying to help. It's one of the most painful things as a person who seeks to help others. They don't tell you this when you're being trained as a parent that someday, possibly, this child you've invested your heart in might hurt you. They don't tell you often when you are in a position, like even as a pastor, I will share with with other pastors, that when people get fearful and they get afraid and, 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 and they feel that you have um, disappointed them, that they'll turn around and, and they'll, want, they'll, they'll be upset with you. I often will tell pastors when they ask about the ministry, I'll say, you know, one of the hardest things is not the fire you get from the outside, it's the friendly fire you get from back. But that's not, that doesn't just happen to pastors, that, that happens to all kinds of people. You've experienced it maybe as a wife or husband, and you've loved someone, you invested in someone, and by one choice, they rip apart something that you stood at the altar and said would be yours together. Teachers, you deal with this. You invest in a child, and, and at a certain point, you find out that you have invested all this stuff, and you find out they drop out, and they do something that just so hurts. Counselors do this. They meet with people, and they help them, and then no one is prepared for a phone call that, that says that they took their life. The pain hurts. And you need to understand that you're not alone. Jesus suffered this again and again. In Mark 14, Jesus' three closest friends failed him. In Jesus' most desperate hour, agonizing in prayer, Peter, James, and John failed to stay awake with him. Returning the third time, again, they were asleep, we're told. And Jesus felt abandoned and hurt alone. Mark 14, 44 through 30, Judas betrays Jesus and everyone deserts him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas the betrayer kissed him and the men seized Jesus and arrested him. And and it says, then everyone deserted him and fled. And Jesus was alone and abandoned and hurt. In Luke 22, 54 through 62, Peter denies Jesus three times. And at one point in verse 62, These words are recorded. The rooster crowed as Peter was speaking these words. I don't know this guy. I don't want know what you're talking about. And it says the Lord Jesus turned and looked at Peter. When you stand up on God's behalf for others, they will get seek to get you to sit down and they will use division, they will use disharmony, they will even use the people who you're seeking to help to hurt you. But God says, I am with you. There's a verse of scripture that says, stay on course, don't stop. Some of you might want to give up and say, never again. I'm not going to do this. I'm not standing up. It's just too painful. 
Here's a verse of scripture that I encourage you just to, to kind of tuck under your belt. It says in Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So forsake you. So say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Hang on to this truth. One time Paul was in prison and it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against him, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. You may need to, as I'm sharing this right now, say, God, I need you to give me strength. You may be looking at someone who you are praying for and standing up for. And you may need to say, God, forgive them. It is a sin not to let them go. It is a sin to hold bitterness in your heart. Lesson two, sometimes when you do what God says, you stand up on God's behalf for others, God seems to fail you. And and that really hurts, right? Because, you know, it's one thing to have other people hurt you or disappoint you or turn against you. It's one thing to have the person missing, misusing power doing everything they can to stand against you. But all of a sudden you find out you've been doing this and you go, God, where are you? I thought you were behind me in this. So Moses makes a stand and he's waiting for God to support that stand. He went in to talk to Pharaoh and now you see he goes in and and and. He sees the, he, he's aware of the foreman going in to meet with Pharaoh and, and they come out and I'm wondering if he's thinking, man, they're going to come out and they're going to go, got it. Three day vacation. Let's get camping. Let's go. But they return to him and their words are, I can't believe this, Moses. I mean, I hope God judges you. And Moses is going, God, because you go and you look at the next few verses in verse 22 to 23 of chapter 5, he says, oh Lord, why have you caused this trouble to come on me and these people? And I, I think it's interesting, he says, ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, You've brought trouble on us and not, listen, these words, not rescued us at all. You ever felt like that? God leads you to step into something and all of a sudden before you know it, you thought God was going to do this and God doesn't. He turns and he twists it and he goes a different direction than what you had planned and he doesn't come through in the way that you had thought. You step out, you're confident, and then you find yourself in a worse situation than what you were when you began. God, I went all in. You know, I, last week the pastor said, if your marriage is struggling, take a baby step, see a counselor. Finally, my spouse and I went to counseling and instead of it getting better, it's gotten worse. God, I took this job. I sense you leading me to take it. I've been trusting that this job would be the one that taps into my potential and it's worse than the job that I left. God, I did what you said. I invited you into my heart. I've been following you, but now my family's offended and my friends don't care to hang around me. What is this walk with you? 
God, I was afraid, but I took a stand against an ethical issue at school or at work, and now my teachers or the people at the work business that I'm a part of are upset with me. God, I shared my faith with my neighbor, and that once warm greeting that I used to get when they drive by is now a quick kind of look, and they're on their way. I mean, I doubt Moses ever thought that this would be the outcome. It appears in the text that that Moses and Aaron are waiting for the Israelite foremen to return. Because it says in 520, when the Israelite foremen left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And Moses and Aaron, as they're waiting, have them come back to them and say, you're fired, we're angry, I cannot believe you've done this. And here's the truth. We... In our hearts, in my mind, I do it. I kind of go, okay, God, you've called me to do this, and I take this step, and I get in my mind that that step is going to lead to immediate resolution. Ever do that? Or it's going to be what I had envisioned it to be, and all of a sudden you find out it isn't clearing up like you thought it would. Isaiah has a great thought here, chapter 55, verse 8. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So what might God be thinking? You ever ask God that in your situation where you're kind of going, okay, God, so what are you thinking in this? I mean, I stepped forward in this. I did what I thought you wanted me to do. It's not where, it's not going where I thought it was going to go. It's not going where I thought you said it was going to go. Have you ever asked God, what are your thoughts on this situation right now? Because sometimes God is waiting and still extending mercy. So we read through this whole book of Exodus. It amazes me. You're going to see it again and again how he waits in mercy. I have far less mercy for others than God does. Sometimes God's still developing your character. Teaching you patience and teaching you to trust and teaching you to grow in humility. Sometimes God is working on those around you. It's not even about you. It's about what he's doing around you in the hearts and lives of other people and developing their character. And sometimes God is planning to do something bigger than you were planning. He couldn't even imagine, and it just takes a whole lot more steps. But when you get there, you'll go, thank you, God. Remember, God reserves the right to alter our course. That's why I think he often just gives us the next step. If you look at this thing, in this whole thing, when he reveals this plan to, to Moses and Moses goes with its call, he doesn't give him all the steps along the way. He basically says, I got two steps for you. You go to the Hebrew people, you get them on board, and then you go to Moses, and here's a couple things you're supposed to do, and that's it. Because sometimes God, all he wants you to do is take the next step. Because that next step will lead to another step to another step. And it may not be what you want right away. And then the third lesson. When God calls you to stand up for someone or something, you need to understand this. That even though it may not be turning out exactly the way you want it right now, you need to understand and live with this reality. There is no power in the world that can stand against him. You just, you just need to know that when God calls you to stand up for someone or something, there is no power in the world that can stand against him. 
Pharaoh and Egypt were a world power. They were not just a world power. They were the world power. They, the people at that day, had no other idea of any power greater than Pharaoh and Egypt. You have to understand, they're not living in a culture like ours. They were living in a polytheistic, which means many God kind of culture. And the gods that were around Egypt were far stronger than possibly the one little god who was over the Hebrew. Yeah, that's the mindset. This is not just you know, Egyptian international industries, this is the gods of the created world that they understood standing against one little god of their own, the god of the Hebrews. Yet even Pharaoh, the king godlike CEO of the largest, most powerful world-dominating country, can't hold a power, can't hold a candle to God. Neither can your boss, nor your principal, nor the board, nor your spouse, nor the city council. You name it, no one, no thing, no problem is bigger than God. So a really good thing to do is use your eyes on the problem because that's where, that's where the, that's where those who misuse power want it to go. They want you to go back here and they want you to divide and all this other stuff. They want you to be hurt by the people you're trying to help. They want you to be frustrated with God because he's not doing things the way you do. What you need to realize is that God will accomplish his purposes because nothing can stand against the very strong, purposeful God who has all the power of the universe and is available for you. Listen to what God says in Exodus chapter 6 verse 1. Then the Lord God said, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. I think it's kind of interesting. The, the word now you will see, is there's a stress on that idea. I now, right now, this is the point, I have everyone right where I want them. Don't be discouraged right now. Don't be discouraged, Moses, because you thought it turned out. I want you to know right now I have you and Aaron and Pharaoh and the people of the Hebrews. I have Egypt. I have everyone right where I want them. Now I will not only just lead you out, but I will have Pharaoh drive you out. There's a difference there. It's not just kind of I'm going to let my people go. Pharaoh is going to actually go and say, get out of here. In fact, not only will we want you to get out of here, I'll give you some goods. I'll give you some vehicles to help you get out of here. And here's what you need to tuck away in your heart in these kind of situations. First John 4, 4 says, little children, you are not from God. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. A little line you can just memorize and say again and again. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you will accomplish his purposes, even though at the moment it may not look like it. It may be that people are hurt and angry with you. It may be that the people that you are standing up for, you find that those who are misusing the power are going to stand against you and try and get you to be seated. And God says, don't. Continue to do what I've called you to do. Have I placed in your heart to work with a certain situation where people are powerless or you're working with someone who you're praying for or you're in some kind of place where God is leading you to take a step? Take the step. When our daughters were 11 and 12 years of, of age, just, just a few years ago, um, my, my daughter heard you could make good money 
by being trained to ref soccer games for younger children's soccer leagues because they were in need of refs. And so she with a friend, Jessica, decided to do this because, you know, they were into wanting to make some money. And they thought this would be cool. But yet they were too young to drive. And we became their designated chauffeurs, both Grace and I. And we would go to those games, and a lot of them 20, 30 minutes away, and we would usually take something with us to work on, whether you're working in the car or you're working, you know, someplace. Well, my wife was the designated driver to this certain game. It was on a Saturday morning, and she decided to use her time wisely by bringing a work project with her. And the work project that she had really needed for her not to be near them. She needed to be in a place where it's quiet, where she could work. So she decided to find a place where she was away from the people and, and purposely chose to stay away from the game. She just kind of was over like by the car, and the girls went to a, however far the field was away, and, and she was working. And at halftime, the girls come back, and they're not excited. They come running over with tears in their eyes. They're between sobs telling her that they're getting yelled at and screamed at. And my wife says innocently, I mean, the kids are that bad? And they said, no, it's the parents. Anyway, this brought out the mother bear and grace and she really didn't know what she could do about this so she hugged and prayed with the girls and then sent them back to the game and after they had gone she decided she should make her way over to the field and and the whole way she's going over to the field she's praying and she's she's praying over the words that God would want her to say separating from the things she really wanted to say and and I remember she was working away from the field so that there, none of the parents knew who she was as she was on her way over there. They could see her, and yet um, they had no idea that our kids or our daughter was one of the refs. And as she approached the field, she was thinking inside, kind of shaking inside with this holy anger, and kept praying for words from God. What am I to say? What am I to say? And as she approached, the second half had begun, and already the game was intense. Far too intense for a game of a bunch of little children. Parents in their 30s and 40s were yelling at these 12-year-olds for calls they did or did not make. And Grace went to the really, as she said, bad side first. Her mouth was open, but no words were coming out. Instead, as she walked down the sideline, the strangest thing happened. The parents started parting for her like the Red Sea. They literally stopped, moved aside, and stared at her like they were seeing a ghost. The Holy One, of course. They didn't say a word. They didn't say one word. And not a word to the refs. And Grace said she didn't say a word. She just didn't even have to. She walked the entire side. And since that side became so well behaved, this is the honest truth, she decided she would continue to walk around the field kind of like the Jericho thing. And she walked around the field and the other side quieted. And for the rest of the game, not one parent said another word that was harsh or mean 
to those girl refs. Now, that's, that is when God calls you to take a step. And you can clap about that because that is the power of God. And I, I asked Grace to write this out for me because I sometimes lose details in stories and I wasn't there. Grace will tell you that she had never felt the power of God in her more than that day. It was like it surged out of her and onto everyone. All she had to do was ask God what to do. And not having any idea what that was, she just took a step. And God took care of the rest. You might think this insignificant little matter in the view of all the world's problems, but God obviously cared about those little girls in a big way. God obviously cares who is in your heart where you see that person powerless or in a place where they are being mistreated or or you're in a place where you know that something has to change here. And God is very much seeing their misery. Don't ever doubt that. Right now as a church, we, we have a ministry to Chinese. We've just started recently, um, thank you to Pastor Jacob, a ministry to the Indians in our community. And they meet during the second hour. Because we as a, as a church, as Sammy told us a few weeks ago, if you weren't here, with Merge Ministries, there are immigrants coming from all across the world. And we have an opportunity to step into their powerless situations and make a difference for their life. Right in our community, 10,000 are coming from India. There are so many places where God might be calling you in a work situation. I don't know what it is, but what I think is so incredible about this is I love what she wrote. All she had to do was ask God what to do, which is primarily important. Say, God, what are you calling me to do here? And a lot of times you don't even know. What am I supposed to say? And what do you do? And you're going along. All you're supposed to do is take the next step. And she thought she was supposed to say things. God didn't lead her to say anything. She just had her mouth open. And the people kind of looked at her. They parted. And the power and the presence of God walked in and completely calm that place because he loves her and he loves little kids who are getting in a place where they're being truly abused. That's what God's called us to, I believe, as a church. And that's going to take a lot of work on our parts to understand how do we love like that? What does it mean for us to have a sensitivity around that? What does it mean for us to take whatever our next step is and, and to do so without getting angry at others, but to just to do so in a way where we just say, God, you're in control of this. Because when God calls you to stand up for others, there is no power in the world that can stand against him. But you will be, you will be told to sit down by those who are misusing power. You will also, you will be hurt by those you're trying to help. And you will at times go, God, I thought you were going to do this. And he says, you know what? I am doing this, but it just may be my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. But you have one responsibility and that is to trust and to walk into what I'm leading you to do. Now I'm going to ask the team to come forward and worship and I'm going to ask you to stand with me, would you? And I'm going to ask as you stand to just take a moment and I'd love for you just to bow your head
in a, in a way of, of just, maybe just a reverent way, just saying I acknowledge God. I acknowledge you're here. And I'd love for you just to take a moment and just pray. I really believe one of the things God wants us to get really good at is to practice listening to him. For everything. I think he wants you to get good at listening to him and Understanding when he is impressing something on your heart may seem silly. But God might be impressing something that he wants you to to ask further, to lean into, maybe talk to a trusted friend about. He may put an image in your mind. And maybe that God will use a word of scripture that you've Memorize. Sometimes I've talked with people who don't even know the Lord, but they, they, they come up and they, I ask them, I say, well, what is God saying in this situation? This problem, he says, he wants me to know that he cares about me. And I say, yeah, there's a scripture that just says that. Put your trust in him because he cares about you. I don't know what God is calling you to do, but I would ask that you would begin to pray and say, God, it may be that in a situation you're in right now, he's just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm just thrilled what you're doing. Don't be discouraged. Just keep walking. Move into what I'm calling you to do. Stand up on my behalf. For some of you, it might be just as simple as God saying, you know, write a note to that person show your love show your concern it might be the next step is so simple it's not some big thing it's just maybe a word of prayer on a regular basis for him every day let me talk to you now church as one let's pray to God together as one With one voice, we say, Jesus, we truly believe you have called us to serve this West area in your name. As a church body, lead us into our next step. No matter what might seek to cause us to sit down or no matter what kind of potential for division disharmony we are going to keep our eyes on you God and you alone you will be the focus of our hearts because in you is the power to do what you have called us to do at this time in this day in this area and so we together as one and say it in your hearts, we say amen. Yes, Lord. Father, thank you.